a new member of our church this Sunday. Uh, this week, Elena Rose Erickson was born. She is, I can't remember the numbers, but about this big. She's really cute. If you have a chance today, go over and say hi to Elena Rose. Uh, don't touch her. <laughs> That's kind of a good rule for newborn babies. But say hi to her. Congratulate the new, or not the new parent, but the parents. Um, and we're so happy to have her as a part of our family. So congratulations, guys. Welcome, Elena. I also want to say a brief thank you to Rob for last week. Uh, last week, I was in Summersworth preaching because of a um, family issue that came up for Tim's family. And so really thankful that I had the chance to be there uh, and to see the church family in that context. Uh, get to know some of the people over there. See how God's working over there. Um, but then also thankful that Rob had a chance to come here and bring the word to you last week. So thank you, Rob. That's excellent. Um, this is our last week in John. We started John in October of 2018, and we're finishing it now in February of 2020. And I can only speak for myself, but it has been so incredibly rich for me every single week for the past year and a half to fix my eyes on Jesus Christ, to look closely at this word, and then to share it with you. So thank you for going on this journey uh, together with me. I hope it's been as sweet as you, for you as it has been for me. So without any more introduction, let me pray. Let me ask God to use this final, this final time in the book of John, and then we will jump in. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the ways that you've worked in our church. Thank you for the ways that you are working, Lord, bringing new life in, uh, in the form of new babies. Father, we, uh, we love seeing life happen around us in this family. And thank you for the way that you've been working through the book of John over this past year and a half. I can, only, uh, I can only share what it's done in me, Father, but it has been so sweet to fix our eyes on Jesus. And I pray, Father, that today as we do that yet again, it would be a continual encouragement to us, uh, not just uh, that we would have uh, 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 know better how to live our lives, but so that we would know better the God of the universe. We want to know you, Jesus. We're not just a church that comes together to be encouraged. We're a church that comes together to be encouraged because of our relationship in you. Because of what we have in you. Because of the life we find in you. Father, everything we are and everything we hope for is based in you. And you give it all to us. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you for the chance this morning to come together as a church family to praise you and to worship you. Lord, don't let us leave unchanged today. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That means at the very beginning of the book of John, John wanted to make it abundantly clear to us who Jesus is. He calls him in John chapter 1, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the King of Israel, the Rabbi, the Messiah... All these names are used for Jesus in John chapter 1. And here's the point. John isn't leaving it up for us to decide who we think Jesus is. John is telling us who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is the Messiah, the anointed king. He is the one you've been waiting for. The only question is this. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to believe him? Or are you going to reject him? And when we step back at the book of John, that is the question running through the entire book of John. After all, John chapter 2, Jesus turns water in his, into wine, and his disciples, it says, 
believe in him. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, the highest of the high in the eyes of the Jewish pecking order, meets with Jesus, and we do not see him believe in Jesus, at least not yet. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, the lowest of the low in Jewish social pecking order, does believe in Jesus in chapter 4. Then the Roman official, chapter 4, he believes in Jesus. John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda. He walks on water. He feeds 5,000. All that is in chapters 5 and 6. And we see some people believe and others don't believe. But what we also see is that the Jewish leaders start to turn against Jesus. When he heals a man on the Sabbath, they start to turn against him, saying that he is a Sabbath breaker. He could not possibly be the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And Jesus doesn't help the situation when in chapter 6 he says to them, I am the bread of life. Chapter 7, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 9, he heals on the Sabbath again. And then in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And so all of this, the tension is building throughout the book of John between Jesus and the Jewish leaders until it all comes to a head in John chapter 11. Because in John chapter 11, Lazarus dies. Jesus goes and raises him back to life. And this miracle is very public. And it's at the time of the year when Passover pilgrims are all piled into Jerusalem. And so people hear about what Jesus did. Word spreads And things reach a fever pitch with excitement about Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? Now, John chapter 11 is also when we get to see the Jewish leaders wrestle with what they're going to do about that. We get to be a fly on the wall as we hear the Jewish leaders discussing together, what are we going to do about this man? What are we going to do about the fact that the nation is running to him? And they decide in John chapter 11 that they have to put Jesus to death. But in John chapter 12, Jesus doesn't run away. Rather, what he does is he puts himself on a donkey. He rides down the Mount of Olives from Bethany, past the Garden of Gethsemane, through the Kidron Valley, up into Jerusalem. And as he does, the Passover pilgrims stream out of Jerusalem, down out of the city, to welcome him into the city, waving palm branches in the air and crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus doesn't refute it. He received it. And then entering into Jerusalem for the next five chapters, from chapter 17, uh, 13 to 17, we see Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, giving him their last teaching, until, in verse 18, he is betrayed by Judas, arrested by a posse. He is questioned by Pilate, questioned by the Jewish leaders. He is denied by Peter, John chapter 19, he is crucified. And he's nailed to a cross. He is dead and he is buried. But John doesn't end with 19 chapters. Because in the 20th chapter, Jesus raises again from the dead. Jesus is victorious over death. And in chapters 20 and 21, he appears to his disciples again, reinstating them to the ministry that he has called them to. Sending them back out to the nations to do the work that he has called them to do, to join with them in his mission to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And in fact, last week, at the very end of last week, that's exactly what we saw Jesus do on the beach. 
So in fact, as we start into our passage today, the last passage in this series on the book of John, I'm going to back up a couple verses and start in verse 18. Because just before that, what we saw is that Jesus three times says to Peter on the beach, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter says some sort of this response. Yes, you know that I love you. And three times, Jesus replies to him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you see what uh, Jesus is doing here? Peter denied him three times. Now Jesus, three times, is calling him back to doing the work that he has called him to do. In other words, three times Peter denied him, and three times now Jesus is reinstating him. Reinstating him to the work of feeding the flock, leading the church of God after he leaves. And then Jesus says something really interesting, and that's what's in verse 18 and 19. Let me read this passage. It's important for us to understand what's going on here before we go into, uh, before we follow on to the end of the book. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you, and carry you where you do not want to go. What? Actually, verse 19 actually clarifies a little bit. John jumps in to say this. Say that this he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. This is interesting. What do you make of this passage? It feels very out of the blue. Jesus reinstates Peter to this ministry of feeding his sheep, and then he's like, oh yeah, by the way, someday you're going to get old and it's going to be hard to dress yourself. There's something else going on here. It's something that we need to understand. Here's Here's the facts. This is what Jesus is saying. When you are young, you are free. Not in every sense, but in many senses. When you're young, you are free to care for yourself. You're able to dress yourself. You don't have to rely on anybody else to dress you. You're free to go where you want. You don't have to rely on anyone else to take you places. You are free to do what you want. You don't have to rely on anyone else to do anything. Nothing is holding you back when you are young. When you are young, you are free. But it's not always going to be that way. As history has shown us. When you are old, you lose many of your freedoms. And the older you get, the more freedoms you lose. The older you get, the less able you are to care for yourself, especially as you get on into your very final years. The later you get, uh, it's harder to dress yourself. It's harder to take yourself places. It's harder to do the things you want to do. In other words, time takes the freedom away from people. Time steals, uh, robs people of their freedom. That's the point. And so turning to Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter is this. You are young. You are free. You can care for yourself. You can go where you want. You can do what you want to do. But a day is coming, Peter, when your freedom is going to be taken from you. But here's the odd thing. Time will not be the culprit for Peter. It is not time that's going to take away Peter's freedom. And we know that because of what Jesus says right here when he says, you will stretch out your hands. Now, when I read that passage and I hear that he's going to stretch out his hands in the context of an old person getting help, I think it's an older person reaching out for help like this. Maybe reaching out for somebody to give them something or reaching out to be picked up or led somewhere. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Because actually what I think Jesus is getting at here in this passage is 
crucifixion. Crucifixion, this expression, stretch out your hands, this was a common expression referring to crucifixion in this day. So it's not reaching out your hands like this to get help, it's reaching out your hands like this to be nailed to a cross. And to confirm that guess, we see in verse 19, it says that he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. So here's the thing. Jesus is saying, Peter, you are young and you are free, but a day is coming when your freedom will be taken from you. Not by natural causes, but by the hands of your persecutors. Peter, a day is coming when you will be crucified, just like me. And think about that. What Jesus is telling Peter is that this ministry that he has just reinstated him to and just called him back out to accomplish is going to result in a martyr's death. This is how he is going to end his life and his ministry. This is how Jesus is calling him to glorify God, to praise the name of God with his life. This is how, this is what it's going to look like for Peter to follow Jesus. So to take all this and to boil it down into one sentence, this is what Jesus is saying to Peter. Your job is to glorify God by following me, even to the point of death. Your job is to glorify God by following me, even to the point of death. Your job is to glorify God by following me, even to the point of death. Now we also know this about young people. They're free, but young people also have dreams. Every young person has a dream of what their future is going to look like, what their lives are going to hold. And what we know about Peter, and I think I can say this with certainty, is before this point, Peter's dream was not to be crucified. Peter did not want his life to go this way. He didn't want his life to end this way. So we can assume that at this point, Peter begins processing, thinking, okay, What does all of this mean? What is this going to look like? And we get to see him process as we move on in our passage in verse 20. So read with me, starting in verse 20, all the way through to verse 23. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him, against Jesus, during the supper, and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So in other words, Peter turns and he sees John, the Apostle John. When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not going to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now put yourself in Peter's shoes. You hear about your future. You hear what's coming down the road. You find out that you are going to have to die uh, for, uh, for following Jesus Christ. And you look over your shoulder and you see John. And you start wondering to yourself, okay, if this is my future, is that his future too? Is this the way that every life is going to end? For people who are following Jesus Christ. And in fact you can't really blame a guy for wondering. Because in this moment what Peter's doing. Is he's seeking some form of comfort. Right? He's looking back over at John. And he's thinking there's comfort simply in knowing that you're not alone in something. And knowing that somebody else is going to have to walk this journey alongside you. Misery loves company. 
So he turns back to Jesus and says to him, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus replies, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. If it is my will that he remain until I come, that's not your problem. I'm sure he said it nicer than that. You follow me. In other words, don't worry about John. Don't worry about him. Don't worry about the job I give to him. Don't worry about the future I have for him. Don't worry about what his life looks like. I want you to worry about yourself and whether you are following me. I want you to not fix your eyes on John and what his life is looking like. I want you to fix your eyes on me and follow after me, to be faithful to me, to glorify the Father through following me. This is what God has for Peter. And he doesn't want him to lose his focus. Now, I have two friends. I have, more than, I, I, hope, I have more than two friends. I have at least two friends I want to tell you about. Um, these, both of these friends are friends of mine since college, and they're friends that I love deeply. Um, my, one of their names is James. <laughs> There's a better way to say that, too. One of my friend's names is James, and he uh, is a good friend of mine. Uh, I stay in touch with him regularly. He's been here to be free to visit. Uh, I was the best man at his wedding, um, and he lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now, James is an accountant for the University of Michigan. Every single day, James gets on a bus and rides to and from his office. He's the husband to Chassie. He is the future father of a little girl to be released this summer. He's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Now, James is exactly where God wants him. And I can say that with confidence. God is using James to provide for his family. God is using James to love and lead his wife. And I'm confident that John... That John God is going to use James to care for and disciple his daughter. God is using James to serve in his church. He's a, he's a home group leader. He volunteers with the youth group. Now, there's nothing romantic or flashy about James's life. He's an accountant in the Midwest. No offense to accountants. No offense to the Midwest. But this is where God wants James. And that's clear. And what I see in James is a joy when he comes to see more and more that he is exactly where God wants him. Because James is glorifying God and faithfully following Jesus by doing what God has called him to do. Now I want to tell you about another one of my friends. His name's Joe. Joe is also a friend of James and mine from college. I lived with Joe for a couple years. Now Joe doesn't live in Michigan. Joe lives in the heart of the Cascade Mountains in British Columbia. Joe is not an accountant. Joe is a part-time youth pastor, and he spends the rest of his time leading a backpacking ministry into the mountains. Joe does not ride a bus to work. He rides a motorcycle to work. And Joe is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And just like James, I can say with absolute certainty that Joe is exactly where God wants him. God is using Joe to provide for his family. God is using Joe to love and care for his wife, to lead and disciple his daughter. God is using Joe to serve in his church and to run this ministry that he's a part of. And Joe is exactly where God has put him. Joe is glorifying God. He is faithfully following Jesus by doing what God has called him to do. Now these two friends of mine, Joe and James, they are two very different people. They're leading very different life, but both of them 
are glorifying God in their lives. Amen? Now here's the thing. Joe's also a good photographer. And so when he takes a helicopter up to the top of a mountain and takes a picture of that happening, it could go on the front cover of National Geographic magazine. And so let's say James is in his office counting, and he gets a notification on his phone or on his computer that shows Joe on top of a mountain. Joe riding his motorcycle through the valleys of the Cascade Mountain. And in that moment, James, who also loves the hike, who also grew up in the mountains, starts thinking to himself, man, I wish I lived in the mountains. I wish I got paid to hike. I wish I got to ride a motorcycle to work every day. It might be easy for James to start comparing himself to Joe in that way. But in that moment, what would Jesus say to James? In light of what we've seen in in this passage in John today, what would Jesus want to say to James? I think what Jesus would say to James is something like this. If it is my will that Joe would have this life, what is that to you? You follow me. James, if I've called Joe to one thing and you to another, what is that to you? You follow me. James, if I've called Joe to follow me there and you to follow me here, what is that to you? You follow me. James, if I've called Joe to glorify God like that and you to glorify God like this, what is that to you? You follow me. Now to Peter... Jesus says, if it is my will that he, that John, remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And just to flash forward in Peter's life, what we see is that for the next 30 years of Peter's life, he obeys that call. For the next 30 years of Peter's life, he tends the flock of God. He goes on mission with God. He follows God's commands until at the end, as Jesus says, he stretches out his hands in Rome where he is crucified under Emperor Nero. To James, Jesus says, if this is my will that Joe have this life, what is that to you? You follow me. And to James's credit, I can say that is exactly what James is doing. James is following boldly after Christ, and he is using him for God's glory in Michigan. But my question to you now is this. Do you ever compare yourself to someone else? More specifically, do you ever compare your life to the life of someone else? Do you compare the specifics of your life to the life of someone else? Do you ever look at the life God has given you, the job he's called you to, the relationships he's put in your life, and then look at someone else's and think, man, I wish my life was a little more like theirs. Or think, man, I wish I had that job. Or man, I wish I had that family. That family feels perfect, and I know I do. The time I do that the most is when I get on social media. Because every time you get on social media, people post pictures of things they're doing, and I've got news for you, people don't post pictures of themselves at work. They post pictures of themselves on vacation. They post pictures of themselves playing games with their friends, with their families, laughing, having a good time. Nobody cries, snaps a picture, and posts it to the internet. I think if social media had a subtitle, it would be something like this. Social media, where everyone's life is better than yours. It is not a good place to go when you're feeling bad about how your life is going. In fact, social media is a perfect way to get your eyes off of Jesus 
and start comparing yourself to the life He's given someone else. But to you and me, when we start comparing, what does Jesus say to us? What might Jesus be saying to us when we start comparing ourselves to other people? I think it's something like this. I think Jesus would say, if I have a different call on someone else's life, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't worry about how well-behaved someone else's kids are. You be faithful to discipling and disciplining the kids that I have given you. Don't worry about how happy someone else's marriage is. You just be faithful to loving and honoring the spouse I have given you. Don't worry about what other people do for work. You be faithful to the job I have given you right now. You think about how you can shine the light of Jesus Christ in your workplace right now. Don't worry about how perfect everyone else's lives look or the exotic vacations people are taking on social media. Put your blinders on. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and follow me. Live the life I have given you right now for the glory of God. And even if God leads you somewhere else later in the future, even if he changes your circumstances later, the thing is right now our sovereign God has put you right where you are in this moment. So put your blinders on, be free. And ask yourself this question, how can I glorify God by doing what he has called me to do right now? The word for us today from Jesus is you follow me. Now the book of John ends with these last two verses in verse 24 and 25. So let's turn our attention there and zero in on verse 24 and 25. John says this now of himself. He says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In John chapter 1, John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John tells us that Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the King of Israel, the Rabbi, the Messiah. He tells us exactly who Jesus is, and he doesn't leave it up for us to decide whether we, what we think about him. He simply leaves it us, up for us to decide whether we are going to believe him or not. And throughout the entire book of John, that has been his mission. To show you who Jesus is with his signs. To share Jesus' teaching about himself with us so that we will hear it and believe it. To help us see that Jesus is the God who came from heaven. That Jesus is the Messiah that the people of Israel have been waiting for. That he is the one who has set up the kingdom on earth then, who is still reigning in heaven today. And so now here at the end, John is taking a massive step back and he's looking at the entire book as a whole and he is talking directly to the reader, to you and to me, and telling us everything I have told you is true. 
Everything that Jesus has done actually happened. Everything that Jesus said about himself is actually a fact and so much more. In fact, I couldn't even fit it inside of this book. Jesus is exactly who Jesus says he is. And so here at the end of the book, Be Free, after walking through this for a year and a half, it's time for us to make a decision. It's time for us as the reader to deal honestly with Jesus Christ, to receive the witness that John has given to us, and ask ourselves, do you believe in him? After everything we've read, everything we've seen, do you believe in him? Do you believe that Jesus is God? That he came to earth to live here with us? That he lived the perfect life without sin, without shame, without guilt, without brokenness. And that he went to the cross bearing our sin, bearing our shame, bearing our guilt, bearing our brokenness. That he died taking our sin, shame, guilt, and brokenness with him to the grave. And that he rose again three days later and he left our sin. He left our shame. He left our guilt and he left our brokenness six feet underground. Because if you believe that. If you trust in that, his work in your place on the cross, you are free from your sin. You are free from your shame. You are free from your guilt. You are free from your brokenness. He has made you perfect like he is perfect. And you are free to join Peter and to join James and Joe, (laughs) to join me, to join other believers in this church and other believers at other churches throughout the entire world as we seek to glorify God by following Jesus Christ, by loving him, by loving others, by making disciples. In other words, by living as disciples of Jesus Christ, faithfully following our Savior and our King. Jesus is God. I want that to be the final thing we hear in this series on the book of John. Jesus is God. He is the Messiah, the anointed king. He is the savior of the world. And I believe I'm speaking in the spirit of John when I beg you, believe in him. Believe in him. Share about him with others and beg them to believe in him. Don't just share this message, proclaim this message. Speak it with power. Speak it with the conviction that it truly has within your own heart. Desperate, be desperate for other people to find the life in Jesus Christ that you have found in him. Jesus is God. Believe in him. Will you pray with me? Sweet for me. I'm so thankful for the ways that you've worked in my life as as I've gotten to sit in this book and think about it. I'm so thankful for the ways that I've heard other people share that you've worked in their lives through the power of this word, your word. And I just pray, Father, that this series wouldn't just be one that we do throughout the decades at our church. But Father, this might be the series or this might be the time in your word that leads some people in our family to actually come to a place where they say, yes, I believe that. I believe everything that John has said about Jesus. And I pray that this would lead people here today to actually make a decision to follow him. And that it might motivate those of us who do already follow him to go twice as hard into the world to tell people about this man who was also God, who came to wipe away sin, and to offer us life in his name. 
Father, thank you for all you have done. Thank you for all you are doing. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.